At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. A fresh box of Monte Cristos and a feel-good story, preaching to the choir, to the foundations and all the fishing groups, talking about solutions, not complaints. All this week on The Real Guy Podcast. Clear the airwaves. The Lunker Dog is on the air. Are you ready? This is The Real Guy Podcast. This is Captain Jeff, and welcome to the 239th episode of The Real Guy Podcast. This week, we're going to start off the show with a real feel-good story. I mean, in this day and age, we could all use a feel-good story every once in a while. This is a pretty good one because it involves some of my favorite things, which would be the mullet run, some cigars, and some everyday real guy stuff. So let me paint the picture for you guys. It's the mullet run, okay? And I was doing a trip, and I'm not going to get into how the mullet run you know was this year necessarily but we were fishing the mullet run and we roll out of the inlet and there's a pretty nice school bait i'd say eh, call it a city block long and there was a couple boats already fishing on it we roll out of the inlet we see the we see the pod and we notice you know there's two other boats already fishing the pod now in years past the mullet run was big enough and thick enough just to blow by this pod that a couple of people are already fishing on. But in today's day and age, any school mullet that you might see is a little rare and they're just not lined up down the beach like they were in the old days. In the old days, I'd have blown right by that school of bait and went and found a different school of bait and everything would have been a little bit more happier. But nevertheless, I'm on this school of bait and I pull up I try to pull up behind the school of bait not to bother any of the other fishermen. And one of the guys that was fishing the pod, he recognized me. And um, he actually said, you know, kind of a funny joke like, who would have thought I would show the professional where the bait is or something like that. But it was, you know, it was, it was a nice way to say, hey, dude, you're a little bit too close to me maybe. So anyway, I took it kind of slow. I analyzed the situation. Um, I turned off my motor put on my trolling motor and I wiggled into a position where I wasn't bothering the other two boats but one of the things that um, stands out is the guy was able to talk to me the guy that I pulled up next to now if you can speak to somebody out into the ocean then you know you're too close to them you know that's like kind of a good way to look at it like if I can hear those guys and they can hear me I'm probably too close so I adjust the boat and I get myself into a position where the bait's moving, the way the fish are moving, where everybody's happy and we're not bothering anybody. And there's three of us fishing this school of bait. And it's probably about all you could really get um, in that particular area. So there's this guy that's been um, starting to do trips out of Fort Lauderdale. And he always seems like a nice enough guy. I didn't really know him that well. And um, he pulls out, and this would be the fourth boat on the school of bait. And he kind of sets up right behind me and quarters are a little tough and 
one of my buddies was fishing that school of bait and he texted over to me he says man he says it's kind of a tough spot for that guy to pull up and you know i just kind of knew that the way this guy positioned himself if i got a big fish there was a pretty good chance that um you know it might get tangled up in his lines or get in his engine or whatever so i want you guys to put yourself in my shoes first of all it's a another guide that's you know starting to fish the area now i got nothing against any of the other guides matter of fact i'm pretty friendly with 99 percent of them but when you get a new guide that's fishing in your area let's just say it's not making your life any easier necessarily especially in fort lauderdale because there's kind of not a lot of space everything's kind of compacted and tight here so having another guide fishing the same area it's not exactly something that you celebrate put it that way but usually with a lot of work from the other guide he breaks into the industry and then you end up becoming friendly with them because you respect what they're doing and you know that they're working hard and they're doing the same thing you're trying to do um, which would be to feed your family being a professional fisherman it's not the easiest thing so i got like a five-year rule and how the five-year rule works is i really don't get friendly with a guide or refer to a guide or anything until after he's been around for about five years and if you see a guy working and he lasts five years. At that point, that's when I'll try to, like, you know, cave in and develop a relationship. And this guy's been working out here for a few years now, so he's getting there. But at this point, I'm definitely not, you know, over-friendly. So anyway, the guy pulls up, and he's right behind me, and I start to move a little bit. And sure enough, we get a strike by a 75, maybe 80-pound fish. And this fish beelines, of course, right towards this dude's boat. And I think what happened was, I think it went under the boat and then kind of swerved off to the right. But the guy had his trolling motor in the in the water. And I think the line got caught around his trolling motor because after it broke off, it broke off the leader and it was all choppy looking. And definitely, you know, wasn't like the tarpon frayed through it. Definitely got on the guy's engine or his trolling motor or something. And I completely lose it. And I'm pissed and I'm throwing my hat down on the freaking deck. And I'm cursing, and all three, four boats that were out there could hear me because I was totally pissed. It was completely predictable, in my opinion. So in total disgust, I leave the area, and I go fish some different spots. And I don't know, maybe 30 minutes goes by or something, and I get a text on my phone. I look down, and uh, it's the guy that got too close to me, and he was texting me that geez you know my engine wasn't even on and he was trying to like you know get into it via text and i was like i'm not doing this via text i was like i'm not getting into it digitally i'm just gonna ignore this whole situation i'm gonna cool down and i'm gonna forget about it plus the way i look at it is i'm 50 something years old and that text and messaging and all that stuff is useful for you know small communication but when you're trying to actually apologize to somebody or whatever or you want to debate something, or you want to talk about something serious, take my advice and pick up the phone and freaking call the person or talk to them face to face because this digital stuff only makes things worse. And it also gives people weird internet muscles. Like people say shit online or via text or message or something that they would never say to your face. So I'm not a big fan of getting into you know, problem solving via digital media. So I totally ignore the guy's text. And I just go on my day and try to forget about it. And I actually was starting to forget about it. 
and this is like, I don't know, maybe two or three days after the incident. And I'm getting ready to, um, to do my trip. And I'm down here at the local boat ramp. And there's nobody down there. That's the way I like it. Middle of the week, middle of the day, taking my time. I'm getting ready to get ready for my trip and get started. And this big black truck pulls up. And this guy pulls out and he starts to walk up to me. And he's a big son of a bitch. And I'm like, oh shit, that's that fucking guide. And I'm thinking to myself, well, this is either going to go one or two ways. And let's just say my heart started pumping a little bit. And the guy walks up to me. And he reaches out his hand to shake mine. And he apologizes for the incident that happened a few days before. He didn't make any excuses. He didn't really try to argue about it. He just wanted to come clean about the whole situation. So he goes on to tell me, you know, how much he respected me and all the people out there that he didn't want, you know, somebody to be angry at him. It would have been me. And it was sincere. So I was feeling the guy and I was totally impressed you know, that a guy would come up face-to-face to, face to squash a problem that probably would have festered for a long time digitally or if you didn't come up and, you know, go face-to-face face with somebody. So not only did he come over, apologize, face-to-face, face, but then he reaches into his truck and he brings me a bag. And inside the bag is a box of Monte Cristos. And I don't mean just a regular box of Monte Cristos, a collection edition box of Monte Cristos, 50 of them. Now, I'm not sure if this guy knew that I liked Monte Cristos because of the podcast, because of YouTube, or whatever the situation was. But he thought enough about the situation to go get that special box of Monte Cristos because he wanted to squash the problem like a gentleman. And that's just something you don't get nowadays. So you want to talk about a feel-good story. That's how I wanted to start off this podcast, because a lot of the stuff we talk about, you know, we're in a we're in a fishery that has diminishing assets. I mean, as it gets harder and harder with all the development, the pollution, the um, population, things are not getting any easier. So when there's a feel good story out there, it's every once in a while and it deserves to be told. Speaking of other things that are starting to make me feel a little bit better is I starting to feel at least the media in some forms, getting a little bit more responsible. Okay? And let's take the mullet run that just passed, for instance. Um, not the best mullet run. Okay? The mullet run gets worse and worse every year. And for as this mullet run's gotten worse and worse, the, I don't know, Florida sportsman type articles, Saltwater sportsman type articles, any type of magazines or whatever, they would always want to glorify, you know, the mullet run. And how cool it was and how great it was, but very, very little covered on the demise of the mullet run. So just recently, um, George Gods, along with Colorblind Media, they came down to do an episode, a TV episode on the mullet run. And it was refreshing to me because they wanted to do the real story about the mullet run. They wanted to talk about the history of it what it once was, what it is now, what the challenges are with it. I mean, fishing shows in the past wouldn't touch that stuff with a 10-foot pole. And now the media productions are now working it into the story, and I find that to be responsible media. And I've been talking about this for years, and it doesn't stop there. Then uh, Tom Rowland, I was on the Tom Rowland podcast last week, and we're going to go over some key points of that podcast because we talked about the issues for like an hour.
Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. And that stuff just didn't happen before. A lot of podcasts at the beginning um, wouldn't touch this type of topic because they were afraid it was going to hurt the charter business or so on and so forth, which we talk about in the Tom Rowland podcast. So media is changing, and it's mostly fishing media, you know. But I got to give uh, Louis Aguera and Channel 10 News here in Miami um, some credit because that's a form of media that's been covering the pollution issues and the water issues pretty well where you usually don't see that um, from major news networks or from what we call the mainstream news the mainstream news is always run by you know pretty much the government and their sponsors between those two kind of tells the mainstream media what to say Lou Aguera um, is being candid about the pollution problems that we're having down here in South Florida and he's not letting the issue die um, each week or each month he comes out with a episode and he talks about it. I would love to get Louie on this podcast because, I mean, he's home turf and he's working hard. And that's what I'm talking about, responsible media for a change. So let's talk about some key topics that we went over in the um, interview with Tom Rowland. Tom does a really good job at um, asking the right questions when he's doing a interview with people. And one of the questions that he asked me, I was glad that he asked. He said, Jeff, if you had a magic wand, he goes, what would you make that wand do in order to help clean up the environment? He also asked me about solutions on different solutions, what I think would work in order to help win the fight for clean water. Now, if he'd asked me this question 10 years ago, I probably couldn't answer it because it's, you know, it's hard to get a grip on. It's hard to get your your mind around, you know, what actually could work to make the water quality better or to help win the fight for clean water. And one of the things that I came up with immediately, and I told him, if I had a magic wand, what I would do or what I would want is I would want the media companies to take a hold of water quality issues like they do, say, identity or like they did with the Black Lives Movement or whatever, racism and that kind of thing. Like if you watch an NFL football game, in the back of the end zone, it'll say, you know, end racism or whatever. Um, during the BLM movement, the whole media was focused on BLM. And, I mean, it was crazy the amount of attention, you know, that that movement got. And regardless what you think about that movement, I don't want to get political here about any of this crap, but the fact that the power of that movement and, and exactly, you know, what happened, that's what I would like to see the media do about the water like how refreshing would it be for the miami dolphins end zone to say help save key biscayne or help save biscayne bay or maybe tampa or maybe jacksonville or any of these coastal type nfl teams nba teams major league baseball they'll promote all that political racial bullshit and they won't talk about stuff like the water and especially like Miami and Tampa and Jacksonville, this is the state of Florida. This is a message that 
if I had a magic wand, that's the message I'd want to deliver. And it happens for all sorts of other things, but it hasn't happened for the water yet. So if I had a magic wand, that's basically the first thing that I would do. Then Tom made a really good point that he's heard a lot of people complain about the problems, but not talk about real solutions. And he wanted to know what I thought you know, these solutions were. Now, if you've been listening to me for a while, you know my big thing about the state, the counties, and the cities, and the failing infrastructure. Now, we got development problems and some other stuff that we're going to get to here a little bit. But the first thing that comes to my mind, because it's the simplest, and we know that it's happening, and we know that it needs to be addressed, and it's been paid for. And that would be our sewer and storm drain infrastructure for the whole state of Florida. The people from the state of Florida need to demand from the governor, from the state, from the county, and from their cities to be state-of-the-art infrastructure when it comes to sewage. Because the way we're developing the state, if we don't fix that problem, and we don't address that problem, then none of the other forms of environmental help are going to work. The Captains for Clean Water's big fight to restore Flamingo and the Everglades down south there, that's all fine and dandy. Restore the water flow. Make those grass flats come back and all that. But if the rest of the state continues to contaminate the water with raw sewage and inadequate sewage infrastructure, none of the other stuff is going to work. And there are a lot of solutions that if the sewage infrastructure doesn't get fixed, can't work. Like, for instance, I love the idea of water goats. Now, if you don't know what a water goat is, it's basically a seine net that you put right on the surface of the water that the uh, nets can take the plastics and floating debris out of the water. It's a really nice system to clean up the water. Or you could do, like, the protein skimmer situation, which uh, John Lowe's has done here in town. And basically, that's protein skimmer technology where we take a canal that is overridden with bacteria and pollution, you run the protein skimmer through it, you clean it up a lot like you would do an aquarium. Simply putting filters in our drain system before it dumps into the new river, before it dumps into the intercoastal, right now the way the drains work is if a piece of plastic goes into that drain, or a cup or a bottle or whatever it might be, it just gets pushed right out, there's no filter or whatever, and it goes right out into the water and we use the water like a liquid dump. And we've been doing it for years. So, we got to change that. It's not rocket science, it's filters on a bunch of drain pipes. I'll give you another simple solution. You see it going this way all over the state, is they'll wreck a natural shoreline, and then they'll put just a plain cement seawall up, which is horrible for the environment. Here in Fort Lauderdale, we're getting to replace thousands and thousands of feet of seawall. It is the most environmentally unfriendly seawall that you could ever come up with. There's all sorts of seawalls, what they call living seawalls, or natural shoreline type of seawalls, that the city of Fort Lauderdale could do, but it's not their priority. So they keep putting in the same old seawall that totally destroys our ecosystem. Now here in Fort Lauderdale, I know the city knows about these different solutions because we've pleaded to them, we've argued with them, and we've asked so politely to please implement some of these types of solutions in order to clean up our waterway. And so far, the city of Fort Lauderdale has done nothing. Now the city would have you believe that they've done all sorts of things. Like they replaced this main sewage pipe that went across town. And it was the biggest and it was the baddest and the meanest sewage pipe that you'd ever could have. It's the biggest one we had. And that sewage pipe was failing. Failing so bad where sewage is running down the streets in the most affluent neighborhoods in the state. 
It was going in the intercoastal waterway, the biggest sewage spill ever recorded, so they fixed the main sewer pipe, at least partially. You see, the sewage is leaking out of all the pipes, and it's been leaking out of all the pipes for years. The city knows about it, the county knows about it, the state knows about it, and the feds know about it because people have told them. But long before that main pipe ever broke, all the other small pipes around town have been leaking. And they've been putting it, patching it back together like a friggin' Lego set instead of redoing the whole infrastructure system in order to make sure that the shit doesn't get into the water. Literally. But they do these PR campaigns and they spend a ton of money to deceive the public like they've actually done something. And the Tarpon River restoration was a perfect example of how the city acted like they did this huge thing. And they told the city that they spent millions of dollars resurrecting and restoring the Tarpon River where they previously filled it full of sewage. So they put a barge in there, they make a mess, they dredge about 300 feet of this, what we call the Tarpon River, and then they do like this big ribbon cutting ceremony, like they, like they fix the river and there's no more sewage. In the meantime, we're doing water tests in this river, one by the city and one by Clean Waterways, which is the protein skimmer company, and these fecal bacteria levels are sky high in the Tarpon River where they just did the big PR campaign telling everybody how well they fixed it. And all you had to do was go down there, use your own eyes, use your own nose, and take a look. The river has never been more polluted in its existence. But the city of Fort Lauderdale spent all that money and time and energy to deceive the public so that it looks like they're going to do something. They'll spend the time, the energy, the money to deceive you. But where are the leaders? Whether it's a commissioner, a mayor, somebody that works for the county, one of these bureaucracy departments, DEP, somebody. We have to push for incentives for these solutions. Like that would be the role of the government. That's how it's supposed to work. Whether it's the DEP or the EPA or there used to be this thing called OSHA. There's all sorts of agencies and bureaucracies that the government developed to address this type of stuff, but nobody holds them accountable for anything. Therefore, they suck at everything. This has been going on for years and years and years and years. And that's where I'd like to see more energy from a lot of the foundations. The foundations are so good at putting the cart before the horse. Like for instance, they'll go and they'll do this uh, oyster project, or they'll do this redfish resurrection project where they'll put in a whole bunch of raised redfish in a certain area. But they put those redfish in, and then the water quality gets freaking destroyed because the infrastructure sucks. And they never talk about why all these programs that they've done over the years has failed. And the reasons it's failed is because the water quality has gone, I mean, it's gone to shit. I mean, like the amount of time and energy that the CCA put in to Fort Lauderdale doing what they called an oyster restoration project, an oyster farming project that was going to help filter the water here in Fort Lauderdale. And the oyster project was going to be part of the solution to clean up the waterways here after the big sewage spill. Well, the oyster project failed miserably. But the CCA didn't come out and say that the oyster project failed miserably. They came out and said what a great success it was. And the reason they called it successful was because of the science that they did, because of the research that they did. Well, anybody that's taken a look at our waterway and knows anything about our waterways, we'd have known that the oysters have been trying to live in there and have lived in there forever. And if the water wasn't killing the oysters, then they would grow back. But because the water is so contaminated, the oysters won't grow and is taken over by algae. I mean, it's a game of smoke and mirrors. 
So if the research and data was so important and it was so great, then why didn't the CCA take that data and take that report and go right to Tallahassee with it and ask Tallahassee, whatever bureaucracy that is supposed to take care of this, I believe it's called the DEP, why didn't the CCA go to them and say our oyster project didn't work because the city of Fort Lauderdale can't friggin' keep the sewage out of the water? I mean, that's where their time and energy should be spent. I mean, the whole reason that they're an environmental foundation is because they're supposed to take the role of the people that actually care about the water and the environment, and they're supposed to work full time on it, which is what you give money to the foundation for because you can't spend all your time fighting for clean water. So you want your foundations that you're supporting to do that, and they don't. They're a lot like the government, where they're giving a lot of smoke and mirrors to make their foundation look good so they can raise more money. And I'll give you a perfect example. The money that the foundations have spent on media is usually and only about fundraising. Like, on my Instagram and all my social media feeds, I get all these foundations that are giving away free boats if you give them money. And they're spending a ton of money on media and advertising to deliver that message. So, hey, I'm a foundation. You give us money and you can win a boat. But I have no clue what these foundations, where they, where they stand in the fight for the clean water. I have to go on what I see with my own eyes. And when I saw the CCA crap that went on with this oyster project, that's what I kind of think when I'm thinking about these foundations and what they're doing with the money that we're giving them. I want to see that foundation down here fighting with the city of Fort Lauderdale, holding them accountable, holding the state of Florida accountable holding the Broward County accountable. That's what I'd like to see them spend their money on. And that's what I'd like to see them spend their media money on. By educating people and holding people accountable. And that's what I mean by these foundations will often put the cart before the horse. I want to see the foundations unite and promote our movement similar to the way BLM promoted their movement. And if we did that, we would have the politicians eating out of our hands. And I think now is the time to do it. When you look at all this energy that they're spending, talking about saving the world with electric vehicles and that kind of thing. Talk about putting the cart before the horse. Let's quit dumping sewage into the water or simply filter the trash from it and quit using the ocean as a liquid dump. And let's start coming up with incentives like they did for the EVs for companies to clean up the water. Like, for instance, I got my uh, little girl a Jeep. And it's one of these hybrid Jeeps, so it can go like 30 or 40 miles on electric, and then it reverts back to gasoline. So if you're going on like long trips or that type of thing. But anyway, it's a great little vehicle, and I was happy to buy the vehicle. I got a $7,000 incentive to buy that vehicle. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, Almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Which was great because it, it brought down the cost of the Jeep and made me feel like it was a good decision to buy that hybrid Jeep. So that's an example of a good incentive. Now let me tell you an incentive that I thought of that the state of Florida could do. So there's this company out there, they have these, <clears throat> these skimmers, they're called parachute skimmers. And if, you know, you had a small canal or a 
small area that you wanted to get all the debris off the top of the water, you, you take this parachute skimmer, you tow it behind your boat, or you tow it between two boats, or you set it up between two pilings where the current's flowing, and this parachute skimmer will collect the trash. So how about this incentive? How about every fishing guide in the state of Florida, or commercial fishermen, can get qualified to do this type of work and get paid, I don't know, call it half of your day rate that you normally make for fishing. So every day that I'm not fishing, I can go out there, help clean up the waterway, and the state gives me an incentive to do so, and I charge about 600 a day, so I get $300 a day to go use my parachute skimmer and start cleaning up the water. Now how about that for an incentive? Or maybe take that protein skimmer technology, and everybody that lives on the water that has the ability to put a protein skimmer behind their house in some sort of canal has an incentive by the state, the county, and the city to do so. Now these are just common sense solutions that I've been able to come up with after studying the problem for years and years and years and learning about it. I would like to see the foundations unite with some of these companies to promote these types of incentives, to come up with a real plan to clean up the water. So don't let any smart-ass politician tell you that it's too much work or it costs too much or they don't know what to do. When Joe Fishing Guide over here can come up with a few alternatives and a few ideas that I've never heard of from any of the foundations or from any of the bureaucracies or any of the people running for office. So take this information. Anytime anybody says, well, quit complaining about it and come up with some solutions. And these are real solutions. I mean, think about it. If you simply fix the infrastructure so sewage wasn't leaking into the canal and the intercoastal water every single day, and then you give thousands of fishing guides and centers all over the state to help clean up the water, in a very short amount of time, we can have 80% of our water quality issues taken care of with two simple programs like that. And if people start thinking this way, there's a lot of people that are a hell of a lot smarter than I am that have come up with better solutions, better incentives, and better programs. So the next time you go to vote, whether it's your city representative, your little commissioner guy there, whether it's your mayor, whether it's a guy for your county, state, I mean, you, you name it. Ask him what incentives he's put, promoting, what incentives he's putting forward to help the fight for clean water. And if he doesn't know or he doesn't have something, put one of these on the table. Start from there. And the last thing I want to talk about is preaching to the choir. I talked about it on Tom's podcast. One of the things that we're all real guilty of is we all preach to the choir. For instance, you go to your fishing club meeting and you complain about the water quality. Or you get online in a fishing group or something and complain about the water quality. Or maybe it's at that foundation that you've been giving money to for all, the, all those years. That could all be part of the choir. And don't get me wrong, I love the choir. But the choir now has to start spreading information that maybe you'd learn from a podcast like this. And the choir has to unite, a lot like you'd expect from the foundations. That's something we can all do. We can unite and push real make-sense solutions, which is something that we've never done before. We've never prioritized our solutions foundations, government, and everybody else goes all different ways, running around like the chicken with the head cut off, and nothing ever gets done. No one's ever held accountable, which is why we've been losing this fight for so many years. 
I don't mean to sound so negative about a lot of these foundations. They're doing good work. But the problem is, is the work that they're doing has not worked over the course of the years. We are failing miserably. We have to admit that, and then we have to change course. And I believe the content that you heard in the last 30 minutes would be a good first step in a way to change course, in a way to change direction, where some of this stuff might actually get implemented and get done. Anyway, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of The Real Guy Podcast. This is Captain Jeff, and as always, run that dog. You want to succeed, you want to fish, you want to be one of the greatest. Tune in to West Marine's Life on the Water, presented by Costa Custom Boats, every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.